Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in the studio recording across the table from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. How's it going? How you doing? Good, I think. I don't know. Really convincing. I've also been doing videos uh, on Instagram more Mm -hmm. often from my bed. I really am taking it back to the basics. (laughs) It's For those of you who don't know, shooting a video uh, requires a fair amount of effort. Okay, I got it. I got to press record. (laughs) I got hold of microphone. Uh And so I was like, I'll I'll keep doing videos if I can literally do it on my phone. in bed (laughs) (laughs) and you know what i love them i love the energy you're bringing but it made me think of it because um i've gotten a few comments from people who were who were like um what the fuck is wrong with your sinuses (laughs) (laughs) i'm like oh i'm sorry okay something fucked happened in my nose at some point probably in childhood or in, in utero and here we are decades later and this is what i sound like so and I feel like the our listeners are are probably most well acquainted with yeah. My... At this point, I mean, it's it's a beautiful welcome sound. You know, it's their comfort sound. I also think podcast listeners are probably more aware of the fact that I don't sound as nasally on the podcast as I do in videos. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care anymore. It's clearly not gotten to me. <laughs> Also, before we get into the show today, another reminder, I am hitting the road. I'm doing live shows again for the first time in like two years. I'm so jealous of everyone who's going to see you. I know you should be because it's going to be fun. And it's not here. I'm going to be this week in Denver at the Comedy Works in Denver, September 23rd, September 24th, September 25th, five shows in Denver this week. I'll also be in Delaware for the first time ever. Oh my God, our nation's first state. November 12th. We'll include a link to all of these shows uh, and I'm going to start adding a, a whole bunch more. So I'll see everybody out in the wild. Uh, but Denver, you're up first. So buy some fucking tickets. You hear that, Steph Langan? 
one of my dear, dear friends from college okay, who lives in Denver. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's get on with today's fucking episode. Uh, we're going to kick things off, as always, with Worst Things First, where I shout about the stupidest, most ridiculous worst news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into wedding season. Oh, God. Yeah, we are at the peak, folks. We, I have, my feeds are chock full of bridal shots, groom's shots, fucking flower dogs, and I'm sick of it. Uh, and finally, we got comedian, writer, actor Nick Dodani on the pod. You've seen him on Murphy Brown, Atypical, and the new movie musical, Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, we get into growing up in Arizona, learning to sing and dance, and playing a teen when you're a grown-ass adult. Anyway, so let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start the show. All right, worst things first. Let's chat about the worst news of the week first. Um, this is just a fucked up story. So um, <laughs> scientists introduced a bunch of butterflies to this tiny island of Satunga in the Island Archipelago, which is a bunch of islands, I think. Great. Just kind of a group of islands, just mm-hmm. kind of a, a gang of islands. Sure. So they intended to study how these emerging butterflies would kind of disperse throughout the landscape. But what ended up happening was that they introduced these butterflies and they accidentally introduced three other species that were hiding inside of the butterflies. Okay. Absolutely fucked. (laughs) Literal Russian doll situation happening. So the first one was a parasitic wasp that was hiding in the in the caterpillars. And then there was another parasitic wasp hiding inside of that no. wasp. And then there was a bacteria hiding inside the tiny wasp, hiding inside the bigger wasp, hiding inside the butterflies. This is a nightmare children's book. This is aliens. They introduced what they they were like, oh, we're going to let all these butterflies go and accidentally let loose like bug World War Three, <laughs> and just devastated this island. Jesus. The author of the study was like, this is a great warning. <laughs> For projects considering introducing species, showing how easily other organisms can be inadvertently released alongside. Maybe just do like an x-ray. <laughs> before a little. Put it under your little microscope, you know? Make sure the little caterpillars you're going to set free on an island aren't kind of chock full of a bunch of dangerous parasitic wasps. I don't know. Part of me feels like the butterfly was in on it. Like they were wearing a trench coat, mm-hmm. hiding these other creatures, and they knew, oh, you're going to move me from from where I'm from? You're going to just drop me in this island that I don't know anyone? I'm bringing all my friends. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. You know, uh, I'm going to get on this airplane whether you say I can't or not. I'm not I'm not going to show you proof that I don't have a parasite in me. Right. I'm not, not going to wear some kind of okay. cloth that shows that I'm going to protect everybody from a parasite. Wow. Making this political. Great job. Yeah. Also, parasitic wasp. I bet I know exactly the type. I know a couple. I've spent a lot of time Khakis, in New England. Boat shoes. <laughs> I see exactly what took over this island. Anyway, next, police in Galveston, Texas, which is famously the Florida of Texas. We've (laughs) talked about them plenty of times. Also a hometown of Miss Tina, Beyonce's mom. Police in Galveston received a call uh, about a masked man 
masked wearing a hockey mask. Okay, thank you for specifying. With a bloody knife roaming the beach ahead of uh, Tropical Storm Nicholas, which um... was the latest uh, latest tropical storm, which is horrifying. Police arrived. They detained him. Turns out it was an area lawyer who was just dressed as Michael Myers for fun. <laughs> That's what I expect from all of the attorneys I hire. Yeah. So he was arrested and cited for disorderly conduct because it turns out you can't just walk around a beach with a bloody knife uh, and a hockey mask and expect not to be, I don't know, questioned in okay. some way. Okay, but then like cosplay of like all, uh, anything else is fine, but this man can't cosplay as his favorite murderer. <laughs> not with a bloody instrument. <laughs> this guy sounds like a full piece of shit. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't actually want to be defending him. <laughs> I'm not the lawyer in this situation. Uh, he said it. He he did it as a way to, quote, find a little bit of positivity in the gloomy doom. <laughs> okay. So it's like, okay, everyone is scared because they're, uh, they have uh, an approaching hurricane uh, or a tropical storm and he's just going to lighten the mood by dressing like an axe murderer and walking around with a knife. You know, it's kind of like that thing, though, where it's like, to get your mind off of the pain of a broken arm, maybe you have someone slap you in the face. You know, it's like the impending storm is causing fear. Let's get people scared of something else. Sure. Keep their minds off of it. To make it worse, he said, it felt like a scene out of Scooby-Doo after they handcuffed me and pulled the mask off. <laughs> and then he said, like, I would have gotten away with it if, if it wasn't for those meddling Karens, you know? Okay. Meaning mm. that, like, the people who called the police on him for roaming around like an axe murderer <laughs> on a beach in Galveston. Also, famously, the beach where Robert Durst from the Jinx, <laughs> an actual murderer, buried his victims. So it's like people in Galveston of all places have reasons to worry that you're just <laughs> roaming the beach. Oh, not a bunch of Karens in this one yeah. situation. That's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you see a pedophile roaming around a children's playground, you're going to call the police. You see someone dressed up as Michael Jackson roaming around a fucking Chuck E. Cheese, you're going to call the police. Wow. Wow. And finally, for the second time this month, a Yellowstone National Park tourist has captured footage showing wolves biting a grizzly bear on the ass. What? There's more than one instance? Two instances. <laughs> Two instances. And, uh, and this is a very strange behavior that has not really been documented. Um, in the first instance, in early September... Apparently, there was an elk carcass nearby, and this photographer captured this wolf biting a grizzly bear on the butt because they didn't want to share. And then on September 10th, six miles away from where that first incident happened, the same photographer captured more footage showing a different wolf biting a different grizzly bear on the ass. <laughs> Just as the bear was searching for roots and grass shoots. He was just like, hey, lady, <laughs> looking good. Yeah, this is how he was. He, that grizzly bear was searching for salad. Mm -hmm. The wolf was looking to, to toss some salad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, the photographer told some website that he believed that this butt nipping involved a different wolf and certainly involved a different bear. Love this evolution of wolves and bears. I don't know. There's a butt chomping war that is heating up in the wildlife community. <laughs> Yellowstone National Park is a lot happening. And uh, I'm just saying, watch your asses out there, people, because you <laughs> never know when a wolf. This is the part of the three little pigs that they don't tell you about. Mm. Why was the wolf so interested in knocking down all of their houses, huffing and puffing? He wanted to eat us. <laughs> you know for sure that the big bad wolf, absolutely a fiend at rimming. Mm, okay. <laughs> That's canon. That's canon. Shut it out. Walk it out. Serve it. Ancient city style. Lady Gaga. Uh, anyway, some Yellowstone National Park spokeswoman was like, um, yeah, they probably just, they're both territorial species. So, you know, sometimes when you have species living next to one another, some asses are going to get bit. <laughs> Deal with it. And that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Uh, you can head to my Patreon, patreon.com slash where you can see video of the bonus stories that weren't included in this week's episode. And you can get a special separate podcast feed that's basically a bonus on Happy Hour episode that shows up right in your podcast app. Extra content every single week. Last week, we had a lot of great stories. So uh, you'll get that and all of the back episodes when you sign up. Head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash it supports the show. It supports me. It's a nice thing to do if you're a longtime listener. So go do it. Next, we're diving deep into the worst season of all, wedding season. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Well, it's September, which means all the shitty little children are back in school. Starbucks is already shoving whatever new flavor of pumpkin we're getting this year into our faces. And all our friends who are in love are vomiting their nuptials directly down our open throats. It's peak wedding season, folks. I'm going to one next weekend. And I would argue, given that many people had to postpone their weddings after last year, after the last 18 months, this month is like peak, peak wedding season. Oh, yeah. There are so many fucking weddings. This is like, there are mega bridezillas at this point. No exaggeration. Last weekend on Instagram, I saw 4 million weddings. Oh, my God. I have wedding whiplash, so let's bitch about it. This is why wedding season is the worst. First of all, I don't want to follow along on your entire wedding journey. I This is like a new thing that people are doing where it's like, we have to follow you as you make every goddamn decision that you have to make about your wedding. It doesn't, it doesn't build the suspense for you? No. I don't want to be a part of your decision-making process. You don't need to crowdsource what seat covers you're going to use. Just make a choice and wait until I show up and judge you in person. That's why everybody needs to take a page out of Meghan Markle's book, frankly. Take, Hear me out. Yeah, tell me more. First, marry a hot ginger British guy mm -hmm. and then get him to denounce his family for inventing colonialism. Good. And second... 
keep all of the details of your wedding a secret until the day of the wedding and then make it a worldwide event. That's what I say. Simple. That wedding was like nobody heard any details about it until the day of and they suddenly was like, oh, shit, this wedding is amazing. Oprah is here. <laughs> the third thing is invite Oprah to your wedding. Also true. She probably won't show up unless you're a literal prince. But, you know, you could try. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm just not a fan of the whole, like, we have to go on this journey with you and make all of these decisions with you. Just pick shit. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's whatever. It gets into the whole, like, DIY sharing of, like, remodeling homes, like, all of that kind of stuff. Except when you're remodeling a home, there's, like, the destruction phase, and that's fun to watch. And, like, the before and after. And with a wedding, there's no before and after. There's yeah. just planning an event and Maybe you know what's like be. actually kind of annoying planning an event yeah i i don't want to plan an event ever so yeah um, don't bring me into it but i do like that idea i do like applying i first you should destroy your relationship and then build <laughs> it from the ground up and that i would follow along <laughs> absolutely also, everybody milks their wedding photos a little bit too much. They all look the same. Yeah. I get that you're happy. I get that you're excited. I can't keep opening up Instagram every day to a new wedding album. Okay? You get one photo. I'll allow one photo. You're dumping an entire series. I can't do it. Every time I log in... I'm getting slapped in the face with a photo dump of all of your crusty relatives. Guess what? I've had enough of your wedding highlights. I want to see the drama. Tell me which cousins did cocaine and made out with each other in the bathroom. <laughs> Tell me which uncle got dragged out for getting too drunk and advocating for the resegregation of public schools in Alabama. I know you got that gossip. I know you're trying to hide it from us. Tell me which of your bridesmaids got pregnant that night. I could probably, I'll ask my aunt and uncle, post my favorite wedding photos of all time, which are of my aunt and uncle from like the 60s, where it's literally the profile of my uncle. It's the outline of his profile and a photo of my aunt in that. And it is incredible. And like all their poses are like kind of weird, but like meaning to be weird. And they're incredible. And I'm like, unless you're doing that, I don't want to see it. Is the profile in, like, shadow? Yes. Like, wait, here. It is going to be worth it. I, prom- I promise. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's incredible. I'm obsessed. It's because I will the, absolutely subtext, be doing the this. subtext of that photo is that he owns her now. No, he's she's all that's on his mind. My family, uh, my, my parents, uh, their wedding photographer got absolutely wasted and fell into a fountain and all of their photos <gasps> got ruined. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is horrible. So there's, like, no real photos of their wedding. They have all of the, like, photos from the church where they got married. Uh But then there's no photos of their reception. Wow. Because it was, like, you know, film. And he fell into water. (laughs) (laughs) Next! Which leads me to my next point, which is there are too many old people at weddings. They shouldn't be allowed. (laughs) I feel like the whole reason people get married is because, like, old people are going to die. So we might as well get married now so that they can be at this wedding. I've never once thought about that. Are you serious? I feel like it's always like, well, we, we had to push up our wedding because, like, grandpa might not be around much longer. I guess I've so buried any kind of familiar pressure of me to get married that I don't even think about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's definitely definitely a thing. 
I just think, yeah, so many, so many of the weddings that I have either been to or even see, I, I just feel like it's all of the young people who are having all of the fun of the wedding and like the actual event of the wedding. It's like, just give old people a live stream of it and you can watch from home and then you don't have to suck the air out of everything with your elderliness. <laughs> so mean. Or better yet, give them a kind of like Ocean's Eleven style live stream. Where, so it's like not even the real event. It's just kind of like a fake stream. You Guess have, I have, do not remember the plot of Ocean's Eleven. Remember when they replaced the security camera footage yeah. with like just a, an empty room? Yeah. But... And so then they were actually robbing the room behind mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Next. It's not enough that I have to come to one day of your Let's Celebrate Us fuck fest. Now weddings are like multi-day affairs that I have to prepare several daytime and nighttime looks for. And sometimes like activities. Yeah. Like I gotta going tra- on a hike with like a family hike. Right. I got to travel. I got to prepare a full wardrobe. I need to pad the weed and alcohol budget so I can survive that shit. (laughs) It adds up. It adds up. And it's a lot to ask of me, someone who doesn't even want to be here. (laughs) Next. Weddings are just too elaborate now. I feel like everybody is going for like, we have to make everything Instagrammable. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to just get married in the basement of a day's inn. Now I've got to trek out into the middle of a forest because you had a dream when you were seven years old and still picked your nose that you were going to be a fairy princess one day. (sighs) No. It's too much. That being said, I will be the most insufferable bride. Oh, yeah, you will. (laughs) And every, absolutely every inch of my wedding should be Instagrammable. (laughs) Next! Brides and grooms, I guess, just have to like pick which of their friends they like the most. (laughs) Family or nothing. Like, I, when I get married, there will be no bridesmaids. And also, like, to any of my friends who happen to be listening to this podcast, like, I don't, I will never be offended if I'm not your bridesmaid and, like, it's fine. But, like, People get so upset. Yeah. And it's not even, it's worse than MySpace Top 8. Because when you get chosen, it's you, it's you don't just get like a little picture on their profile. No. You get like an unpaid internship to be their assistant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like you, you've accepted a job. Absolutely. And finally, straight weddings are a hate crime. I'll end on that note. Okay. Okay. Half the time straight weddings are just a trick to get me to go to church, which I don't I don't like this kind of bait and switch. Oh, come to my wedding. And then suddenly I'm sitting in a pew and I have to hear a priest preach at me about how, you know, oh, he's cutting off his foreskin and you know, feeding it to the angels. Or, like, literally women are subordinate and, like, that's what's going to happen in this wedding <laughs> yeah. and, like, Jesus is involved. He's yeah, like, all, Whoa. most of the passages in the Bible about marriage are about, like, ceding your your <laughs> independence to a man. It's literally, like, taking out your rib. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's some good ones, I guess, about love or whatever, but... Jewish weddings, the ceremony is usually like pretty short and you get to break a glass and that's fun. There's also some, you know, problematic shit in there too, but the glass is fun. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to have the audacity to invite me to your wedding, it better be fucking gay. Okay. (laughs) There better be costumes, dance numbers. There better be lights. There better be good music. There better be a good photographer who knows my ankles. 
And good food. Amen. And cake. Anyway, that's it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Nick Dodani on the pod right after this commercial break. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. My guest complainer today, he's a comedian, a writer, an actor. You've seen him on Murphy Brown. You've seen him on Atypical. And now he's starring in the new movie musical, Dear Evan Hansen. Welcome, Nick Dodani. Hi. Hey, Matt. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, Okay. So we like to start by asking everybody, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? Dave Chappelle. Okay, come, coming in hot right away. <laughs> I used to love him, but uh, what's happened to that? What's happened to him? He's, I, I worry for him, honestly, is, is more accurate. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Elaborate. What is, what is the concern? Yeah, I think he's kind of a shock jock um, at this point. Because they're not, they're not really even jokes anymore. Like, I, I can get behind, a, like, a, a cleverly crafted homophobic joke. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, like, a cancel culture purist here. Like, if you want to come after us and you do it well, like, more power to you. Uh, but they're just, they're just rants. They're just, you know, Lil Nas X this, gay people that. Like, all right, bro, we get it. You're old. Yeah, yeah. So you're in New York. You're you're based on the West Coast. I am. Yeah, I'm based in LA, but uh, I'm out. I'm out east a lot. Yeah, I think because we've met a couple of times, and it's been in New York. And when when that happens, I just assume that that person lives in New York because I have the kind of spatial memory of of an infant. <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of New Yorkers don't really um, see past the five boroughs, so it makes sense. True, true. I'm really, I'm really just coming in hot going after everybody today. <laughs> uh, it's something about you, Matt, that brings out the the tick in me. That is what this podcast is about, though. You know, know it's a, it's a I complaining know. podcast. So this is the space to get it out. 
so yeah, uh, give us kind of your your origin story. Like, where where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Texas in Dallas, and I grew up in Arizona. So you're a southern a southern. Do people consider Arizona the South? I guess it's more the Southwest. It's the Southwest. T- Texas is the South. Arizona is the Southwest. Yeah. Um, very different. Pr- pretty distinct cultures. Uh, only a couple states over, but pretty different, I would say. Does Arizona have culture? What what is the, what is the culture of Arizona? I say this as someone who's been there many times, and I I like it. Yeah, I, it's desert culture. You know, sure. it, it's a, a lot of cactus candy and racist white people, and the appropriation of indigenous culture, and it's it's fabulous. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of Americana, classic America. Yeah, Wild West, cowboys and Indians, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, all, I'm what part of the Indians, but the other Indians. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, I know I was watching some some sketches and stuff on YouTube, and there's there's a sketch you did about being on a date with a gaze for Trump. Type. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I believe he I, there was a line about whether you are a what what type of Indian you are? I probably shouldn't repeat the joke as as a white. Say it, Matt. Say it. <laughs> I will not Say be it. baited on my own podcast. Say it, Matthew. But we'll we'll put a link. We'll put a link in the show notes, <laughs> <laughs> and people can look that one up. But yeah, so now, so you, how did you kind of get into the? This is very like interview one hundred and one question. How did you get into the industry? Yeah, well, I started acting when I was pretty young. I was like 10 or 11 years old. Mm-hmm. I was at this phase in my life where I was copying everything my older sister was doing. And she was taking acting classes. And I was like, ooh, let me try that. And it's the one thing that stuck. You know, I tried sports. I tried basketball. I tried soccer. I tried karate. I tried robotics. I tried painting. Like, it, you know, I, I, I the, the sports didn't... I really did. I, the sports thing obviously didn't work out. So I tried to do the nerd stuff and that didn't work out. But acting did, and it's probably because I'm a little faggot. <laughs> I had no idea where that sentence was really going to end. Um, I, I was expecting that you were, you know, a, a, an amazing actor, and, and that's why it worked out. Uh, can you imagine if I called myself an amazing actor? <laughs> <laughs> but you called yourself a little faggot instead. <laughs> Listen, this is unhappy hour. Right. Yeah. No, it's allowed. Um, we, we'll, we'll leave that in unbleeped. I'll, I'll allow it. Edgy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we've never bleeped anything on this podcast, so it's... I, I didn't think so. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I was never like a sports person. I, I think I, I kind of like wrote off sports before I even had the chance to kind of see if I was any good at it. We, we just knew. We knew I wouldn't be yeah. any good at it. Yeah. Uh, that, that tracks. <laughs> Just from what you've seen uh, in this little Zoom box, you can you get that the gist of it. You did. You said you did basketball, soccer, karate, karate. I tried it all. Did, did you? There was actually you a par- any of the athleticism. No, no, absolutely not. Um, there was actually my dad recently revealed to me that um, during a basketball game when I was in middle school, mm-hmm. I was doing so poorly that he cried. And he hid it for me at the time. God bless him. Uh-huh. Because that would have been a, you know, a traumatic incident, I think, that st- would have stuck with me for a long time. But a few years ago, he revealed to me that that it was so bad that he cried. Yeah. That is, how old were you? 
I think it was like sixth or seventh grade, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. So like probably 11, 12, 13 around. Yeah. 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 I've been wondering recently, and this is a peek into my psyche of what, what age will, uh, will like some kind of cutting devastating thing that someone says to you, like make a, a, have a traumatic lasting effect. I guess there probably is no age limit. But I always think like psychologically, whenever people talk about like, oh, this traumatic moment from childhood, I I always sort of assumed it would be pre me remembering anything. And I'm Mm. like, no, maybe that thing that I remember when I was like nine, fuck me up. And for me, it's probably like someone made fun of my Halloween costume. That is the level of trauma I'm talking about, just so no one is concerned. (laughs) That is uh, that is some bougie trauma, my friend. <laughs> Listen, there's more here, but that's that's for therapy and not for unhappy hour. All right, if you say so. Yeah, I'm here for you though, if you need me. Thank you so much. I took your story about your dad crying and made it about <laughs> getting made fun of for a Halloween costume. Yep, we all heard it. We all heard it. Yeah, yeah. But I do love that your 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 dad had such he put such importance on your performance that it it made him emotional that you sucked. Yes. <laughs> uh you know, but thankfully we've come a long way and now he cries with pride. Yeah. He's a crier. Right, right. I I mean I I've seen your your stand up and you you had some jokes about your dad's expectations of you when you were younger. Is it one of those things where like they see your parents see your success uh, in entertainment and it's like, OK, we're we're cool with this now because it's worked out. I will say the 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 truth of the situation is that my parents have been pretty supportive from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of those jokes were were more uh, based on other relatives in my sure, life. And, sure. They were lies and, is what you're saying. Well, the best stand up is. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's no. that's not true. That that's not true. But yes, they were they were exaggerations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely felt the pressure from the community, other relatives, society at large to to kind of conform to what the expectations are. But they've been pretty great. Like, you know, growing up, my dad basically was like, do whatever you want as long as you can pay your bills and you're happy. Mm-hmm. And my mom actively wanted me to go into entertainment because I think she also had dreams of stardom for me and by extension for herself. Yeah. Uh, and uh, very much pushed me in that direction. Tell me about like your your kind of your year. Um, what what was the last year and a half like for you? Um, well, like a lot of folks, the first several months was just me alone in my apartment mm-hmm. uh, crying every night when people clapped at 7 p.m. for all the heroes. Just mm-hmm. Without fail, every time I heard the applause and fireworks, I just started crying. Um, and then was was brought out into the world for the protests mm-hmm. in, in June, um, which uh, promptly plunged me into a deep depression mm-hmm. and then started seeing therapy again, was on the up, booked to Yerevan Hansen, which was insane. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter flew to Atlanta to shoot the film in the height of the pandemic during the election uh, was there for three months in a very, very strict bubble with with the cast, mm-hmm. learning how to sing and dance for the first time in my life, trying to do whatever I could to help Joe Biden, you know, right. Papa Joe. 
and uh, wrapped that film. Went to Phoenix for a long time, which is where my family is. I was I was home for the longest time uh, that I've ever been since I left for college a decade ago, mm-hmm. and that was a trip. Ultimately, good, but it was it was a lot. And then I went back to LA to shoot the final season of Atypical. And uh, that wrapped, and then I, I went back to Phoenix for a few weeks because I'm a masochist. And, uh, <laughs> and now that I've been in LA, slash New York, slash Toronto, slash DC yeah. for the last couple months, just doing all the doing all the things, getting ready for the film to come out in the next week, right? Or this week, whenever this podcast is dropping on the September 24th in theaters everywhere. Yeah. Being at home in Phoenix, how long were you actually uh, at home? I want to say like six or seven weeks and then again for like three weeks. So like like 10-ish weeks of the last 10 months I've been with my family. Yeah. Do you find yourself kind of reverting back to child, like your teenage self whenever you're back at home? I either revert back to my teenage self or I age up like 10 years <laughs> to be the adult that is needed in this situation uh-huh. or I become the really angsty, really angry teenager <laughs> that I was 10 years ago. Yeah. I think I'm also kind of on that cusp where it could go either way because mm-hmm. yeah, there is a certain age at which you go home and you kind of, you're the adult now, but it's nice. I'm definitely going to get a lot of shit for saying that. Honest, <laughs> but right. Do? Nobody wants to admit that they are no longer the adult. But we have to come to terms with it. Yeah, we do. We really do. I also didn't realize that um, that Dear Evan Hansen that it everything was was filmed and everything in the last year. I guess yeah, that makes perfect sense. We're we're, we're far enough into this that um, productions have have fully resumed. Yeah, this was uh, I believe the first studio film to start in in the in the states uh, during the pandemic, and so we were kind of the guinea pig. All the unions and guilds were uh, monitoring and observing, um, which was terrifying because we were kind of building the plane as we were flying it. Although to, to, to the studio's credit, like the safety precautions were really thorough. Um, I felt safer on set, honestly, than I did uh, anywhere else. Right. How how do you go about playing a, a teen, a high schooler? Yeah. Um, first step, makeup. Right. Second step, wardrobe. Right. And then I let those kind of penetrate. I really like to build characters from the outside in. Like I like to figure out what they look like, how they do their hair, what kind of glasses they're wearing, um, how they walk and then work inwards from there. And so I feel like I, I, I take what's in the script and I, you know, in this case, I, I, I watched the original, the bootleg not on stage, <laughs> um, to see, to see what Will Roland did. And he was so funny. Uh, and, and then figure out what parts of myself to bring to it, what parts of my teenage self to bring to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so similar to Jared, I was kind of a sarcastic prick in high school. And so I just really tried to call that back. It wasn't that hard, but you know, it, it was, uh, it, it seemed like a pretty seamless transition into Jared. Right. And then you you had to literally learn how to like sing and dance. I did. Yeah. I don't sing or dance. And so they put me through a crash course with like the best of the best from Broadway. Um, 
and a choreographer from Atlanta named Jamaica Craft, who is uh, insanely talented. She's worked with like Sierra and Lil Nas X and, and was training me, Ben and Colton on, on how to dance. And uh, it was really fun. It was terror. I was terrified, but it was, it was, it was such a, it was a really supportive environment. And like, they really were sparing no expense to make sure we could do it. And ultimately I don't really sing and dance all that much in the film. So I just had to learn enough to right enough to get by. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like, now you sort of have those skills that you can, you can take and apply, or you're going to bleep be like, you know, a, a musical man from now on. Perhaps, perhaps maybe I'll move to New York and do a Broadway show. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's <laughs> probably, that's probably uh, those, you know, I feel like the skills that I learned, it's like when you study for a test, you learn everything. And then the moment the test is done, you forget everything. Right. I think that's what happened. Yeah. I'd like to think that it's a little bit different with, with something physical, like your body probably remembers something. Yeah, that's true. I can definitely use my diaphragm right. more. Like that, you're right, you're right. That muscle memory is there. I'm able to kind of connect to it, the mind and the and the gut. Yeah. I also think it's like every gay's dream to have some Broadway coach, like, teach them how to sing. Yeah, I, I, it was great. And and Eric Vitro is who who did uh, a Eric lot of the coaching. Vitro? Yeah, he did a lot of the coaching for me at first before I went to Atlanta. And then it was the music team in Atlanta. Um but it was Eric who is just, you know, delightful. I mean, he's just like a sassy gay. And yeah, exa- exactly what you imagine like a, a vocal coach, like a Hollywood vocal coach would be. Uh, no bullshit. Very much was like, we got a lot of work to do, honey. <laughs> and really kind of just pushed me and kicked my ass. We He and I have a bit of a history in that oh. um, in 2016, I won a People's Choice Award um, for oh. social media stuff. And uh, they gave the award. It wasn't on stage. It was in the audience. And they gave the award. Uh, they came up to me beforehand. They were like, "We're you won. We're going to hand the, the statue to you um, when we come back from commercial break. And then the cameraman immediately forgot what I looked like. They came back from commercial. And the camera stopped on Eric Vitro, <laughs> who looks nothing like me. <laughs> nothing and the cameraman was like you won you won give me a thumbs up and so he's like giving a thumbs up and below below him the chiron is like winner matt belisai (laughs) social media um and amazing yeah so that was like a, a highlight and then um eric stole my thunder well now you know what it feels like to be a person of color (laughs) <laughs> just getting mixed up for another person of color. It, ha- it happens all the time. There are so many photos of me tagged online that are not photos of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, when I, when I found out he was a vocal coach, I was like, yeah, that tracks. Um, <laughs> he seems like a very, no- he actually tracked me down the next day and was like, I feel really bad that that happened. And I was like, it's not your fault. Um, so no. he's very nice. He's a very nice man. Yeah. But I do love that. I, I feel like, um, yeah, it, it would be a dream to kind of like say, okay, I know I only have to sing for this one thing, but give me the basics so I can use this skill forever. No, it was cool. It was cool. It was it was really surreal. You know, I bought all the stuff like the humidifier and the lozenges and yeah. know, I was doing the, the, the exercises every morning when I woke up and it was it was fun. I, I feel like 
because this musical is such like a known quantity to so many people, did it kind of add on to what you were kind of putting on yourself of like, okay, I'm going to have to play this role that people already know? Yeah, I think we all definitely felt that pressure. I think the show has such a legacy from its time on stage. Mm -hmm. um, And bringing, you know, adaptations of any kind are always tricky because you have to figure out what to keep and what to cut and what to change. Uh, And for me, what I really wanted to do was find a way to play Jared um, that wasn't a carbon copy of what what Will Roland did, although it was brilliant. I wanted to make it my own and and, um, bring a new flavor to it. And so figuring that out and collaborating with the creative team on how to make that happen while still respecting the original material and the original uh, interpretation of the character. Uh, I definitely, definitely felt the pressure, but it was a really supportive group of people. Thank God. Like everyone was on the same team. Right. Right. It seems like everyone was rooting for it. Seems that way. Yeah. I, I hope people, I hope people enjoy it. Um, I think, I think the film, I think people, I hope people watch the film before making a judgment. Yeah. What what else? So, so I also saw that you um, work on this project called The Salon. Is that still, that's still happening, right? Absolutely, yeah. I, so I co- co-founded this group a couple years ago um, with my friends uh, Bashnar and Benny Chibber uh, to create a community for South Asian artists and executives in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, the, the joke I always tell is that my manager is a six foot two gay black man. And that's relevant because he's a part of two industry groups, mm-hmm. uh, black gay brunch and tall gay agenda, which is exclusively for tall gay men. Uh-huh. And I was talking to my friends and I was like, it's wild that there's a group for men over six foot two, uh, for gay men over six foot two, but there isn't like a group for us. Uh, South Asians are 25% of the human population. Right. Um, so it's and there's a, there are a lot of us in the industry, but what we realize is we're very disconnected from one another. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is really replicate what the Black and Latinx communities have done in Hollywood, which is really just like come together in a in a meaningful way, bring together everyone who has power and influence, um, with the sole purpose of of supporting the community and like using that power and influence to to uplift each other. When did it start? 2019. Okay. Um, and it, it started as a pretty informal thing where we would just host these dinners mm-hmm. uh, every couple months where we would bring together um, South Asian folks from different parts of the industry. So like executives and producers and agents and managers and publicists with actors and writers and directors and uh, et cetera. Um, with the goal of bringing together people who, who didn't know each other. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we realized the first step for collaborations to happen is to just meet. And it was really cool to see all the stuff that came just from these dinners. We got, there were films that got financed and people that got staffed on jobs and, um, you know, writing duos that were born from these dinners. And, uh, it was, it was really, really exciting. And of course the pandemic, um, crushed all of those dreams. (laughs) Right. We've all, we all got shattered and we've been left to pick up the pieces. Yeah. But you're out here. You're doing stuff. You're you're flying. You're traveling. You're you're promoting. I'm vaccinated. I've never gotten COVID, so I'm lucky in that sense. Yeah. What is kind of next for you? What are you working on now? Um, next, I'm really excited about uh, a feature film that I wrote. That's an adaptation of a novel called Blue Boy. Yeah. Uh, it's this really sweet book uh, written by Rakesh Satyal about this 12-year-old Indian kid in the early 90s in Ohio who thinks he's turning into the next reincarnation of Krishna. 
And it's this very silly, quirky, weird, queer coming of age story. Um, very like eighth grade vibes, uh, ladybird energy. Um, but not with white girls. Uh, and so, um, really I wrote the screenplay and I'm, I'm very excited to, to keep developing that and to find a home for it and, and bring that to the screen. Yeah. I was really excited to see that, that you were doing that. Not to make this about me, even though that's how I proceed making everything about me, but he was uh, the editor of my book. Oh, Rakesh was your editor? Yeah. Oh, amazing. I'm seeing him later tonight. That's so fun. What a small world. Yeah. He's great. He's he's just such a delightful person and his writing is so, so good. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to see. I mean, I mean yeah, I hope that it, it goes forward and like, yeah, that that movie gets made because he's great. I think it will. I think it's a matter of when. Not if, and right. if that when is soon, great. If that when is in five years, I'm not going to stop trying until I get get it made. Yeah, determination. This is we're, we're I, it, it's it's been tough trying to get millions of dollars for a queer Indian coming of age film. I will <laughs> That's admit really, that is um, shocking. That's usually no, sh- shocking, those are the right? First ones to go off the. Shelf. I know, I know, I know. Um, but I, I'm I'm confident that that we'll we'll, we'll get it done. Yeah. Well, um, where can people find you and your work? Uh, regrettably, I am on Instagram. Yes. Um, so you can find me at Nick Dodani. Mm-hmm. It's N-I-K. And that's it. That's about it. That seems like a healthy amount. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And you you said the date, uh, Dear Evan Hansen is in theaters. I believe it'll be out by the time people hear this, but September 24th? Yeah. Yeah, the 24th. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, this is so thank fun. you. All right. We're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that help all the bad shit go down easier, starting with Do Better White People, where we highlight some anti-racism resources and other actions that we can take to make our world a little bit better. This week, I wanted to uh, talk about Hurricane Ida and uh, the people who were affected by that, uh, especially in Louisiana, friend of the show, Fran Torado, had some good resources in his newsletter. He shouted out a couple of, of, of things that were specifically for trans people uh, and other marginalized communities who tend to be the people who are most affected when it comes to natural disasters. So there's one group that is sort of a, a collection of groups called Imagine Waterworks, uh, and they focus on climate justice and disaster readiness and response and mutual aid. Um, So it's one of those funds that you can kind of donate to, and they disperse them to a whole bunch of groups that they work with. And these are people um, who are actually based in these areas. So it's not like you're donating to some giant place like the Red Cross and who knows where it's going. Mm Mm-hmm. So Imagine Waterworks will include that in our show notes. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of fucked because these things are going to keep happening. Guess what, people? Climate change. (sighs) And on that note, what TV are you watching this week? I am watching Only Murders in the Building, Mm. which is the Martin Short, Steve Martin and Selena Gomez show Mm -hmm. on Hulu. It's not like my favorite show of all time, but it's fun. I'm along for the ride. They do Uh some fantastical stuff that I'm like, could do without. But uh, but it's fun. I love uh, I love mystery, like kind of campy murder mystery stuff is very much up my alley. So I'm enjoying it. 
Yeah. And it's I didn't realize because I didn't watch the trailer that the whole premise of the show is that they are true crime podcast fans. And then a murder happens in their building and they are making a true crime podcast. <laughs> and there are so many really great jokes about podcasts in it. And it's like the first time that there has been podcast production represented on TV that hasn't made me like absolutely hate what I do. <laughs> 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 I'm okay. like I'm like this is fun, <laughs> great. Sure. Um. So yeah, that that's one of the things that I'm watching. Still watching the other hundred shows that are currently on my list. Yeah, that's how I've been. Oh, I started the chair as well. So really, I've I don't even know how I'm watching this much TV, but I am because I'm a warrior. Yeah. What about you? What are you watching this week? Yeah, same stuff as I have been in treatment because there are 700 episodes. <laughs> so still watching that. I'm on season two now. But yeah, still great. Still watching it. Um, what's your non-TV chaser? My non-TV chaser is a book that I'm reading that my friend Gabrielle recommended to me. It came out a couple of years ago. I think like back in 2016. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. It's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, she's a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. And it is all about indigenous wisdom, scientific knowledge, and the teachings of plants. So it's like she's a botanist, but it's about like how her view of botany uh, was very much influenced by her upbringing as an indigenous woman and her connection to her ancestors and like it is she's also a poet <laughs> it is so beautiful and also she does the audiobook she reads it and uh -huh. her voice is so soothing and like i i haven't felt this way about a book and i don't know how long it's just like it's just making me both love the earth and like just like it's just like oh my gosh this is so okay. gorgeous how high are you when you're listening to this sometimes <laughs> i am high doing yoga while i listen and it's like a truly spiritual experience uh -huh. um but other times i'm just sober and reading it or listening to it and it's just like it's it, she's an, a beautiful writer and it's yeah i don't know it's just like seeing the world the way that she sees it is like really wonderful and beautiful and like each chapter has like different stories within it and i yeah she's masterful and i'm really really enjoying it so um that's been bringing me a lot of joy so i wanted to shout out braiding sweetgrass we'll post about it on the instagram nice yeah what about you what's your non-tv chaser for the week mine was a comedy show that i went to uh -oh. <laughs> um i got invited uh by a friend to go see Pete Davidson and Jon Stewart did a show at Madison Square Garden. What? Uh, so I went to Madison Square Garden when? for the first time since, I don't know, probably Harry Styles. Uh, and the next time will probably be Harry Styles. <laughs> it was it was um, this past Monday. Amazing. Yeah, it was last minute. And I was sitting next to our guest complainer, Nick. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> that's how that's how I, I really like talk to him. Um, but it was and it was for like it was for like 20 years since 9/11. Oh, okay. Um it was like a, a like New York is back kind of thing. Mm. Uh the lineup was insane. Literally like every major comedian, <laughs> uh John Mulaney, Amy Schumer, uh fucking <laughs> I just want to point out to the listeners, Matt just named two people, but started to hold up five fingers. <laughs> I was like, who are these other people? John Mulaney, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, Chris Rock Damn. came out, Dave Chappelle. I mean, okay, <laughs> Dave Chappelle, we talk about in the interview, he was a bit of a mess. But otherwise, <laughs> it was a wild night, but it was a lot of fun. And um, 
that's what makes for live comedy, folks. Anyway, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to Unhappy Hour. If you want more Unhappy Hour shit, and obviously you do, you can head straight to my Patreon page where you'll get video of bonus Worst Things First stories that were cut from this week's episode, video of extended guest complainer interviews, and an entire separate podcast feed full of bonus stories every single week. So it's like a second day of Unhappy Hour stuff that you get. You can also buy some merch at unhappyhourshop.com. As always, head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcasts, follow us, then rate this show and review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, Arlene Revelo, and me, Matt Bellisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Honsdale Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkelberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Bellisai. You can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter and Unhappy Hour on Instagram for all the latest podcast buzz. You can leave us a voicemail on our rant hotline at 601-600-RANT. That's 601-600-7268. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. <gasps> uh, bye-bye. I'm going to write you a love a song. Because you need one. You see, I'm not going to write you a love song. supports the show it supports me it supports my gambling addiction <laughs> <laughs>